You're listening to the Man Overseas Podcast, a show that explores methods and ideas to help you live a bigger life. You will hear interesting stories of how people live, how they save and invest their money, and why having time wealth is better than being a billionaire. If you are entertained, educated, or elevated, be sure to hit the subscribe button. We're just getting started. Now here is your host, Brad D'Antonio. Hello, friends, and welcome. I am so glad that you listen. I can't tell you how much it means to me that you're here. You know, I'm always telling my coaching clients, don't squander your youthful energy. Today's guest embodies that ideal. He has embraced it as part of my coaching program as much as anyone, and I'm delighted to have him here. His name is J.Q. Lee. He goes by Jonathan He's a young man I've been working with for a little over a year. Watching someone who is so dedicated to his own personal growth and development has been inspiring and, frankly, intrinsically rewarding for me. His story is nothing short of awesome. He's that first-generation Asian fella down the hall that you've never taken the time to ask, Hey, man, what's your story? Because you can't really do that, right? Like, you know, what kind of Asian are you? Or are you Korean or Chinese? Or, you know, it's always awkward. But when you get somebody on a podcast, you can do that kind of thing. So I took full advantage. And I'll give you the lowdown. Or at least he'll give you the lowdown. I said he goes by Jonathan, but I call him Jay a lot. And I think I just kind of picked up on it that his friends call him Jay. So... I've begun to call him that. He's from the DFW area. And he actually wasn't slated to be my guest for this weekend that we recorded. I'll give you the backstory. So there was a guy who checked the box on a lease application that he was a sex offender, but didn't elaborate. And I thought, well, I, I can't have you unless you give me the the story and it's part of the application fill it out in full so I met with him and he told me the story and I felt like I was sitting with Morgan Freeman at a 59 diner I mean he was such a great storyteller and so detailed and hit the the high points at the right time I said I've got to get this guy on my podcast. So I hired a professional studio to record. This is a few Sundays ago. And I was so excited. I wasn't going to have him at my house. And I didn't really have another place to record. Didn't want to go to his house. Not that he offered. But a few days prior to recording, he goes dark on me completely. I still haven't heard from the guy. Didn't return my phone calls. Didn't return my texts. So glad he didn't become a tenant of mine because his true character came through. However, when Jay and I finished our pickleball match on that Sunday, I told him, man, I don't want to leave the studio owner hanging. Do you want to come tell your story on my podcast? Everybody's got a story and yours is quite captivating. Coming from South Korea His family moved to Jakarta, then to Monterey, Mexico, then El Paso. He got a doctorate of pharmacy from 
the University of Houston. He's a client of mine, so you know he's a stud. And I just say that because if you're someone who puts yourself out there to be held accountable, if you have a personal coach one-on-one, something about that just fires me up. I don't know if I would have done it, if I would have had the cojones in my 20s to do something like that, to set goals with someone who was 15 years my senior and have them ask about, hey, did or have you been journaling these last few days? How's your, your prayer or meditation or whatever your goals are? How are we tracking and reviewing them and, you know, talking about what's going on in your life? And so I, I'm just really impressed with my clients. They're all studs. But this guy in particular stands out. And I got the wild idea that I wasn't going to leave the studio owner hanging and see if Jay wanted to be a guest. And he said, absolutely. And so that fired me up. So we both weren't really prepared. It was impromptu, but it didn't need to be prepared. I just wanted to hear his story. And, you know, that's that's how it is. Like you got this Asian fellow down the hall and you can't. You don't get the opportunity to ask him, like, hey, dude, you you Japanese or Korean or what? Or you know, That would be awkward. So when you have a podcast, you get to ask these sorts of questions. And I did. <laughs> I, f- I fully took advantage of it. And uh, the pickleball game, let me tell you how that worked out. So when I invited him, I knew he was coming to town to see his buddies that weekend. And I invited him, like, at noon on a Sunday to play. And he's been playing tennis all his life so as soon as I invited him he commenced to start talking shit via text pretty much every day last week or the week prior to recording which is a few weeks ago and I had only played three times up to this point but I'm reasonably athletic and I figured I could hold my own so what we did was we bet a book the loser would buy the winner their book of choice and I beat the dog shit out of Jay. <laughs> I'm not I'm not even going to hold back. He got his ass whooped and he said, "What book do you want?" And I sent him a screenshot of my notes app in my iPhone and it's, you know, like 60 books deep. So I didn't know what was going to show up in the mail, but what did show up was A Monk's Guide to Happiness by let's see who's the author, Galong Tube 10, sub 10. I don't even remember putting it on the list. That's how long ago I probably put it there. I don't know who recommended it, but I wouldn't be reading it now if someone that I didn't respect recommended it to me. So it's in my hands now, thanks to the drumming that Jay got from me on the on the pickleball court. I mean, I I smoked his ass like 14 games in a row. I mean, he didn't sniff victory. And Jay knows that I wouldn't be doing this to him if he didn't talk so much in the week leading up to the game. (laughs) So, there you go. That's how this came about, this episode, but it turned out to be a gem. So, I couldn't have asked for a better guest on a Sunday afternoon. Jay is just motivated in a way that you don't see every day. And I wish more American-born folks had what he has inside him. He's up at 4 a.m. every day 
so that he can get to the gym. He's got a goal to be a multimillionaire by 40, despite the fact that he's 29 with $180,000 worth of school debt. His dad worked for LG. He was transferred from Busan to Jakarta, Indonesia, then Monterey, Mexico, before they arrived in the States. And when they arrived in the States, were they really in the States? They were in El Paso, so more English speakers, but I'm sure a lot of the people look the same. So he finally makes his way to Houston and then to DFW, but he earned his doctorate of pharmacy in 2018 from the University of Houston, and then he had to complete a two-year post-grad residency for the U.S. government. And I asked him, Jay, would you do that again? Would you, if you had to start over from age 18, let's say, would you be a pharmacist? And he said, hell no. And I can tell you that's common universally when I ask someone if they would go the pharmacist route again, including my own brother. They wouldn't do it if they had to start over. So today, Jay works for the government as a pharmacy manager, but he also holds down another full-time job as a realtor. And as someone who has done the same, I can tell you it is no joke. That dude ain't sleeping much. He has to be committed to his goals. He has to write things down. He has to follow up and follow up and be meticulous and make sure every T is dotted and every I is crossed. Every hand is kissed and every baby is shaken. I'm telling you, it is a grind. But Jay's a grinder and he's going to accomplish his goals. And if he were to not accomplish his goals, that's an L on me as much as it is on him. I'm his coach. Jay says his passion for reading and financial independence will continue to provide the fuel he needs to accomplish his goals. But that dude's doing things that I didn't do. So I have no doubt he'll accomplish more than I did. I wasn't getting up at 4 a.m. every day. His primary goal to become a multimillionaire and retire by age 40. 29, 180K in debt. You think he'll get there? I do. I do think he'll get there. There was a lot of laughter and witty banter, and we really enjoyed it, and I hope you do too. Please welcome Mr. Jonathan Lee. Jay, first off, I want to thank you for being here, my man. Raise the, <laughs> raise the ceiling. You're the first guest I've ever had that's raised the ceiling. you got to be kidding me. Not kidding. It could just be excitement. I don't know, but nobody's ever raised the roof. You know, it might be just the luck or it might be that my fruits of my labor is finally coming to the end. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> we will see. You've lived an interesting life. You grew up in South Korea, correct? Correct. Yeah, I was born there. I lived there until I was nine. Yeah. Do you just say Korea because people assume South Korea <laughs> when you say Korea? Is Am I right? Yeah. So obviously the official South Korea title is Republic of Korea and North Korea is a democratic People's Republic of Korea, so DPRK. But obviously, with the way DPRK is set up, it's like it's not, you can't leave unless you have a legitimate visa that's granted by the government that you are allowed to go work there and only work there for the work purposes. Like you're not allowed to go there for vacation. Obviously, they have like the elites where they let them go ahead and do that. 
that that might be under the table what they do it obviously they might be under a pseudonym they might be under a different identity and they might go ahead and send some of the children down to the europe to get it educated that's how kim jong-un was he was educated in switzerland he grew up in like switzerland so i don't think he used the actual name obviously i don't think they would have liked the fact that the son of the dictator is attending a college or the high school in switzerland <laughs> So, but to answer your question, I usually just go ahead and say Korea, and but that usually right now a lot of people do know that I come yeah. from South Korea. So, if ten people asked and you said Korea, how many of those ten would say South Korea? It would be around six. Really? Yeah, a wow. lot of people do want to see the. Is this guy maybe an anomaly? Is this wow. guy maybe a defect? <laughs> no, no, I. That's a little bit like. Too extreme, maybe, but they do just, I just, they just, they do just ask for by curiosity, you know. Have you ever met a North Korean? I have not actually. Never in your life. No, I, wow. not that I know of. Because they wouldn't say. They normally wouldn't say. My parents told me that when I was living in Indonesia, which is the second country that I moved to, she told me that yeah, we actually went to a restaurant operated by North Koreans. I'm like, really? I had no clue. <laughs> And she couldn't even remember the name of the restaurant either, and I couldn't either. But I met them without me knowing it. But consciously, I've never actually met someone that I knew that that person is North Korean. Would they share that though with your mom? They probably wouldn't. They were there legally. They were there just working, right? Like they're not there as a, like a visitor or anything like that. So I don't think that's something that was like secret in a sense. And also. Indonesia has a very different relationship with South Korea versus North Korea, so、mm-hmm. it's not as rare as you think it is to see North Korea outside their own country. But it's pretty rare in a sense. There's just not that many. So I'm a bit of a World War II fanatic. Do you take a high level of interest in North Korea? Can you elaborate and like what's going on right now?、Or? Well, it's so close to home that if All of what is said to be going on, which I feel like we know from this Yonemi Park, I feel、mm. like we know from her most of what we know, and she could be fabricating some of that. We can't be sure.、Mm-hmm. So I was just curious: Do you read about North Korea? Do you have the same fascination? Because I'm pretty fascinated with North Korea. I can only imagine being South Korean. Do you take an interest in North Korea? I mean, I'm certainly. Astonished by how different we have become, it's almost become a different species at this time. If you asked us like thirty years ago or forty years ago, there was always you will not live a day without hearing a word reunification. That was a big thing. They still had a lot of families from North North Korea, or they had a lot of families in South Korea. So there was a lot of like movement towards like reunification, but. As of right now, a lot of people have either passed away. Yeah, newer generation have come out, but it's interesting though. I feel like we're having a lot of conversation with the younger generation that we should start having a lot more favorable diplomatic relationship with North Korea. But that is being heavily challenged with the rights out of the government. That no, we cannot trust North Korea. And honestly, I don't know where I would stand. My parents are definitely on the right side, more conservative. Yeah, yeah. and especially because I go by their actions, what the dictator does, and 
by the actions that I've seen so far, it's not really in our best interest to like trust them 100%. That's how I would say it. Trust but, but verify is trust what but verify used absolutely. To say. And especially if that person has a possession of the nuclear weapons, <laughs> then I would definitely verify. Do I have a lot of interest in what's going on? I I would say I'm a little bit saddened by it with how different how apart we have become to the point that like if they start to open up the borders in between, that day will be some day to remember. There will be fights everywhere. Trust me, like, we're not going to get along. <laughs> really? But you couldn't tell each other apart. We can tell each other apart right away. How you speak and everything. We Is can it a tell. dialect thing? It's a huge dialect if difference. Mm. You can tell right away if that person is North Korean. or And they can tell us if we're from South Korea, too. So I'm a little bit more saddened by, like, how we're the only country that's been divided as, like, North and South. But we have the same name of the country itself. But I think the last country that was like that was uh, West Germany and East Germany. But And they retained the names. Yeah. Or they retained the name Germany. Right. So if you were to reunify. My wife and I visited. She wasn't my wife at the time. This was pre-nuptials, but visited the demilitarized zone. And DMZ, yeah. The DMZ, yeah. And I remember they had a big statue it was like a big globe and it would had a slice in it mm-hmm. and we acted like we were pushing it together it's a sight to see because there's literally not there's no fence in between in that border but there's actually like a stone line one side there's a south korean soldier and the another side there's a north korean soldier and you, they're not allowed to cross <laughs> not even the feet that would be like a declaration of war I'm sure you've been to the DMZ. I, I've actually never been to DMZ, but I know. Serious? But I know. But that photograph is just very prominent. It's like here's that two countries. But it's not that only, far from Seoul, right? No, the DMZ. No, Seoul is only about like an hour and a half from the DMZ. It's very close. So you're like me. Like I've never been to NASA, and I'm mm-hmm. from Houston. You probably just never visited the DMZ. Yeah, you're in Seoul all the time. Presumably. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not from Seoul, and I actually don't have any relatives in Seoul. Hmm. Only reason I would go to Seoul is just to meet my friends. But yeah, Why it, are they in Seoul? It's a capital. Like, more than half of the population is in Seoul. So more they move than, there, like people here move to New York City? Yeah, sure. yeah. I mean, the infrastructure in Seoul will... I mean, you've been there. It is massive. Like, some of the things that like public transportation, highways, and everything is just... Man, that city is like I I never really liked enjoy like going there, but because it's just too congested in in a sense. Isn't the population like twelve million? Somewhere along the line, but I know that almost like if not more than half of the population lives in Seoul, which is crazy. The population of Seoul in twenty seventeen was just shy of ten million. That's a lot. That is a lot. That of is people. a lot. Yeah. So tell me about your upbringing. Did your parents put a lot of pressure on you to be successful? They never explicitly said those things, but by their actions, they knew that they had a lot of expectations. You can tell that, like, I wouldn't say my parents were tiger parents like some of the Asian parents are, but but they would show by their actions, obviously. So you live in South Korea until age nine. Was that in Busan? It was in Busan, yeah. Okay, so I've been to Busan, as we've discussed before. Beautiful city. Mm-hmm. Really beautiful. You moved to Indonesia at what age? 
I moved to Indonesia when I was nine. Okay, yeah, so and lived there until until I was twelve or thirteen. Yeah, I was and, there for about three and a half years. And the reason why we moved there is because my dad got transferred to the Indonesian branch of of the LG Corporations, which helps out with the refrigerators, TV, as well as yeah. the ACs. And it's funny because like he quit that company in 2009, but went back to work in 2018 again. <laughs> really, he was retired in 09. No, so he had a couple of businesses. Like he came to. He came to United States in 2009, and he started working at for the for the trucking company. And we used to live in El Paso for that, but then the company wasn't doing too well, so he ended up opening up his own business in South Texas, which is which is around McAllen, like well, Rio no, Grande Valley. What sort of business? Oh, so they had this very small shop geared toward the beauty supplies. So they, they held a lot of like the wigs as well as like the cosmetics and everything. But even then, the business wasn't doing as well as they wanted. So my dad was looking for another way to make a living. I mean, honestly, he was already around 60 at this time. And he could have said, okay, you know what? I retire. But a lot of times I feel like he's defined by his work and work also gets him out of the bed every single day. I mean, honestly, he was lucky enough to go back to the LG Corporation. They took him in. Mind you, he was 60-year-old. Yeah. What title did they give him? Uh, just went ahead and gave him a... I think he was a team leader, actually. But And is that sales or no, engineering? No, he was under the management in the refrigeration department. Okay. I haven't really asked him like the too specific of mm-hmm. what his what his roles are. Because a lot of times I just did not really care at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and refrigerator doesn't really excite me at all. So you never thought you were going to do what your dad did when you were growing up? Oh, no. I told myself, like, I that's not where I wanted to go. I mean, one thing I do vividly remember is that he, he would, like, de-stress a lot of times after work by hanging out with his colleagues. And a lot of times, like, the alcohol was very much involved in that. As you can imagine, it's an Asian country. And alcohols are a lot cheaper than in the United States. I always saw that he would use that coping mechanism to de-stress. And somehow it just like stuck to me that, you know what? I don't think the corporate life is for me. And he just did not seem too happy at all either. And because of that, my parents always drilled in me to go to the professional degree area. And that's why I decided to look into the healthcare and... Well, before we get there, let's yeah. back up. So mm-hmm. you moved to, was it Jakarta? Jakarta, or? yeah. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, so age nine, we moved from Busan to Jakarta, Indonesia, which is the capital. I had a blast. Really? Was, it's it's amazing. It's a beautiful city. Huh. Beautiful city. I didn't know that. Terrible traffic, though. A lot of motorcycles? If you think this Houston traffic is bad, ten, times that by five, that's how bad it is. Wow, it's, it's, that's it's how Bangkok sh- is. It's very, very bad. But people are so nice over there. <laughs> That's how Bali is. Yeah. I've been to Indonesia, Bali at least. Mm-hmm. Did you go to Bali while you were there? Which is crazy because I have not been to Bali oh all that God. three and a half years I was there. And people could not believe that out of all the places, how could you not go to Bali? <laughs> or Nusa Penida, which is the little island near yeah, no, Bali. Beautiful. No. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I can't believe you didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so did you go to a Korean-speaking school? 
or did you have to learn the language? Which is crazy because the, they actually have a Korean school in Jakarta. Okay. And I went there for about a year. And my parents ended up pulling me out of that school. So I had a really bad ADHD back then. And I was never really diagnosed, but I was one of those kids that was like very fidgety, could not just like stand still, could not just like sit still. Uh, I guess like it drove my teacher nuts in a sense. But I'll have to say like my teacher wasn't really as sympathetic or empathetic. So my mom had to come to talk to my teacher. And I actually found this out like only about a year ago that they had a huge massive fight with my teacher and my mom. That's the reason why like she pulled me out of the school. Wow. So after that, she put me in the Australian school, which was where my sister was attending. Okay. How many siblings do you just, have? Just older sister. Okay. Yeah. Six years older than me. So that's when you learned English? That's when I started learning English officially 100%. So okay. I started learning English probably like 11. Okay. Yeah. And then at what age did you come to America? I came to United States when I was 15. And how did you feel about all this, leaving your friends every four years or whatever it was? Yeah. So after Indonesia, like we moved to Mexico, my dad got transferred again within the LG Corporation. Like my dad got transferred again to Mexico. What part? Monterey, which is like the north part of the Mexico, only two uh, two hours. Yeah. Yeah. The two hours below the border. So we lived there for about a year and a half. And then after that, we were supposed to go back to South Korea, but my, my dad was like, yeah, no, we're not going back. I don't feel like going back. <laughs> so when I came to United States, it was just very, it was a culture shock in a sense. Yeah. But it's difficult to adjust in, in a sense because I feel like I'm, I'm making myself my home, making some friends, being familiar with the school and everything. And imagine having to like, move like every two to three years and you had to do all over again that's something that i had to learn to get accustomed to and i have to say people think that i had a great life just going to travel and everything but at the same time i feel like it does have some a lot of like detrimental effects that people don't realize yeah i would think the stress is somewhat overwhelming having to move that frequently and make new friends and the language barriers that you dealt with yeah so you're what 15 and a half 16 or so when you finally come to the united states which part of the u.s did you come to yeah so we first went to el paso that's That's where my dad got a job in the trucking company and that was the first time where i had the encounter for the american education system and it just felt so weird to me Right. And then I felt like I was going through so many different identity crises because El Paso is like predominantly Hispanic populations. It's almost like I'm in Mexico, but they all speak English in a sense. And almost always I was the only Asian in that classroom. And it's been like that ever since I left Indonesia. Did you feel any discrimination or experience any discrimination? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean... Let's face it, high school, the only Asian. Like what kind of stuff do they? I mean, a lot of times they'll just call you Asian. Hey, Asian. Mm. So, Well, that's progress because (laughs) 20 years ago, it would have been worse. Yeah. Asian is actually, from what I understand, I remember in high school, a Korean guy that lived in the neighborhood 
said, call me Asian. I don't want to be called anything else because until then, and this is 1994, they were called Oriental. And that's something you probably, I just saw you, you kind of winced a little bit. Yeah. You would hate to be called Oriental, right? He would tell us Oriental is a rug. It's not a human. And we're like, oh, okay. What is the food? Can the food be called Oriental? You know, we don't know the rules. I was a white kid from a small town where everybody was white, just about. If you weren't black, it was it was whites and blacks, basically. I don't know that we had any Asians. Now that I think, well, I had one Asian friend. My best friend when I was four years old was Asian, but he must have gone to a different school or moved or something. But yeah, we'd usually have one Indian, one Episcopalian. Everybody else was Catholic, white, homogenous. I went to Catholic school, but. I played recreational sports, so we did intermingle with Mm -hmm. other ethnicities or whatever. So I I did get to know some others. But Houston, oh, when I moved to Houston, what a culture shock. Mm -hmm. If you check the demographics of my high school, you would see nine different ethnicities or races on there. It's crazy. Houston's definitely a melting pot. And we were in the suburbs, like probably I want to say 20 miles outside of the center of Houston, mm-hmm. which takes 45 minutes to get to from mm-hmm. the center of Houston. But I always loved Houston because, as I would tell my friends from Louisiana, where I moved away from, is that you get the benefit of the small town community because Cy Falls, where I went to high school, was like its own little town. Right. But then you get the benefit of the Astros, the Rockets. If mm-hmm. you're of the arts, then you can go to the museums right, and yeah. you get the benefit of both big city and small town. So where I came from, it was Thibodeau, Louisiana, and New Orleans was the big city. And New Orleans is, shoot, I think the population is down to like 350,000 post-Katrina. Oh, yeah, post-Katrina, oh, yeah. yeah. Most of those folks came to Houston, yeah, by and the they, way. I don't think they ever left afterwards. No. I was like, oh, they didn't. I actually like this city. <laughs> So you're a pharmacist now. Yes, I am. 29 years old? 29 years old. Okay. If you were 18 years old and continuing your education as an 18-year-old today, would you go the same route? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I would have done things very differently. I think the biggest thing that I would have told myself is to be able to be more open-minded in some of the options that I could have gone into. And in a sense that I feel like I didn't really have much of options because I was raised to be a professional healthcare worker, in a sense. My parents told me that go ahead and get a stable job, just go home. I mean, after work, just go, go home to your family and just live your life. That's how I was taught to be. And there's some prestige to a, there's a def- medical. Yeah, there's profession. definitely a prestige. My parents thought that, that that was a good profession for me. To this day, I don't know why they thought that's a good profession for me. <laughs> so did they dictate your route? They didn't dictate, but they suggested. as a hey, I think you fit well with the pharmacist. And when dad suggests, that's sort of synonymous with dictate. Kind of, I guess. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> if I told them, hey, I want to go to medical school, they would have totally, totally like be okay with it. If I wanted to be an engineer... They would be totally okay with it. Now, if I told them, hey, I want to be an artist, obviously, they would be like, hell to the bone, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but if I can go back, I what I would have done is I would have actually, this might sound crazy, I would have joined the military. 
Interesting. I would have joined the military because right now I work at the Veterans Affairs. I see that Veterans Affairs is literally, it has its own world of opportunities. Opportunities that you cannot even think of that, that existed. Like any profession that you can think of, Veterans Affairs like has some kind of a benefits or they at least help you to further your education in. Mm. And also, one of the things that I feel like I really missed out in my life is that as a military service, because in South Korea, all the males you're required to serve, unless you have like a medical exemption, or if like you're the only son or like or you, you're the only offspring in your family, then you're exempt too. Interesting. Yeah. And there's yeah. no policy for the number of children or anything there. No, 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 not like China. Mm-hmm. I think China just still has that one one child. Law. I think they changed that actually. Oh, they did. Oh. Within the last couple of years, yeah. I don't think their population has gone gone up that much either. They've sure. got a population problem. It's... Too much or or it's going down. Cuz I know India is about to like surpass them like real quick. <laughs> right. Listen to Josh Rogan talk mm-hmm. about China and Peter Zehan, Z-E-I-H-A-N. If you listen to them talk about China's future, they think they have about 10 years left. Wow. And that's really scary as, I don't want to go too far into it, but Mm -hmm. if they ally with Russia and Putin's starting to get a little crazy, if they ally, it could get ugly because... When your back's against a wall and you see the downfall of your country, there's no telling. Wow. It's, yeah, I hate to scare people, but Peter Zian and Josh Rogan are the go-tos for information about anything geopolitical. They study this stuff. They go on podcasts. So you could just go Mm -hmm. into Spotify or Apple and enter their name. Now, that's Josh Rogan. I believe it's R-O-G-E-N as opposed to Joe Rogan. Okay, I was going to ask. R-O-G-A-N. But Josh Rogan has actually been a guest on Joe Rogan, and it was Mm. an excellent episode. He's the China correspondent for the Washington Post and unbiased, just straight Mm -hmm. facts. It'll scare you. It'll scare you. He talks a lot about the CCP and how – that's not China. Like, that's not the Chinese people. You know, he makes that distinction over and over. <laughs> and <laughs> Anyway, it's it's worth listening to if you're looking for a good listen and want to learn more mm. about China. You know, my stepdad was in China when COVID broke out. Oh, God. you have any thoughts on COVID and whether or not that was from a lab or from a bat in the wild? I think originally I thought this came from the domestic, like, wildlife from China, because that's how the SARS started back in the early 2000s. I'm like, oh, here we go again. This is, We're about to go into this rabbit hole once again, 20 years later. And that's what the media also portrayed in the at that time. So, okay, so obviously this is what's happening. And also media portrayed us. There's no way that this could have come from the lab. Right. You were banned from social media if you... Yeah. Said propose that, that theory. Yeah. And, but now, three years later, now it's saying that it's coming from the lab. So, what changed in between? Like the COVID itself, it's interesting. I know we're learning about it as we are going through it at the moment. 
I feel like there's so many things that we still don't know about behind the scenes. Well, they wouldn't let people. Exactly. I mean, what does that tell you? Exactly. Are, are we so stupid to just say, oh, yeah. you won't let us investigate where it started? Oh, okay, cool. See, I think that, and I'm trying to be very politically careful here in a sense. Why? But the, I mean, it can be a very sensitive subject to see that. Because at the end of the day, CDC is the governing body of whenever it comes to like the vaccine guidance and everything. And even then, how are we able to change these guidelines so quickly? How are we able to approve these vaccines so quickly all, all of a sudden as an emergency use authorization? Did you know that we have like almost about 10 drugs that were approved under the EUA during the COVID? And usually whenever the new drug comes out, it usually takes about five to 10 years to get approved. So whenever I see stuff like this and I- Well, and that's because you need to know the consequences of a drug after five years. And we don't know the long-term consequences. That's the scary part. Did you see that interview with Hamlin, the Buffalo Bills defensive back? DeMar Hamlin? Yeah. I, I don't think so. They said, what are your doctors telling you? And he said, I'm going to stay away from that. And the next day, the owner of the Buffalo Bills said that on June 28th, when she excused herself from her duties Mm -hmm. as owner due to health concerns, that was actually due to cardiac arrest. And myocarditis, of course, has been tied to the vaccine. So many things we don't know. I was talking to a buddy the other day, about 10 years older than me, lives out further down 290 and he said that pretty much his neighborhood got together and forged a vaccine status to say that they had had the Mm -hmm. shot and when you flash those things to somebody it's not like somebody takes it and looks at it like it's under a microscope it's more like a bouncer at a club just like oh okay yeah the year is correct in other words the check mark is there And so I'm thinking, why did I get the shots when I could have gotten, you know, I didn't have the hookup because I also had a girl on the podcast from Russia who she said all of her friends just got forged vaccine cards saying that they had been vaxxed. But I'm not getting vaxxed if given the opportunity again. And I've always said this. I feel like I've slowed down mentally Mm -hmm. since I've turned 40. Not a major Mm -hmm. slowdown, but just like things I don't remember. Mm -hmm. And my wife will be like, you don't remember saying this the other day? And I'll be like, no. (laughs) And I always attributed it to being 40. Well, Mm -hmm. you know what I realized the other day? I got the two shots three weeks apart in May of 2020. You know when Mm -hmm. I turned 40? June of 2020. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a lot of side effects that we don't know about and we don't know the long-term consequences. We of don't them. know. So that's something that, I don't know, within five years, we might see some people like growing like legs out of their heads or, I mean, that's not going to happen, but it's just obviously like, that's kind of like the things that we just don't know about. And I hate to, and I hate to bring this up, but like, I feel like, and if this is true, it's going to be very catastrophic in a sense because if there was any sort of like financial motives behind all these guidelines then well they caught the guy the 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 pfizer exec exact yeah saying things on hidden camera but Mm -hmm. because it was 
it was recorded by a conservative, nobody knows about that. But so, he talked about meetings happening at Pfizer to where we can get recurring revenue from boosters. Mm-hmm. Oh, you got to be kidding me. We're so politicized and polarized that even when something is recorded on hidden camera, we don't trust it because it came from one side of the political aisle. Right. It's crazy. What's that guy doing today? We need to know. Exactly. Was he fired? I don't know. We don't know. We don't I, know. That's the thing. Though. And Our media won't investigate it. That's when I, you know, COVID is one of the reasons why I started to doubt some of the reasons, kind of like question some of the things that like the media was portraying. And obviously, it's very different depending on the administration or who's in charge at that time, right? As of right now, as a pharmacist, as a healthcare professional, I'm following the CDC guidelines because that is what the what we're supposed to do as a healthcare professional. Now, am I allowed to have an opinion in terms of like, is this actually valid or not? If you ask me for my opinion, I might have a different opinion about it. Obviously, like, yeah, I mean, do yourself a favor to protect yourself at all times. But when I see that there is like a proposal about making this like almost like every four months that there was there was one time there was like they're they're talking about giving this vaccination every four months i'm like this seems a little bit ridiculous in my sense we never really had a vaccine in the history that we needed to get every four months yeah of the vaccines do you recommend as a pharmacist that we get our hearts checked to see if we may have myocarditis so as of right now, we don't know that there is actual causation for it. No. They found some association for it. And as of right now, we don't necessarily have all the datas in ducks in a row that we know of that, okay, for sure, for sure, this is what's going to cause the myocarditis. And if you already have a pre-existing condition of this congestive heart failure or anything like that, then obviously get that checked out. But does that mean that we shouldn't monitor Absolutely, you should monitor because they're already saying that there is an association. But again, that's also difficult, right? Because I might, like, 25-year-old young guy just gets a COVID shot and next day he dies of myocarditis. And that happens from time to time as well. Some people just respond to it so differently to these vaccines. I mean, death from the vaccine is nothing new. This has happened from the flu shots as well. But obviously, it's very rare. Very, very rare. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Most people that die of heart conditions don't realize that they have these heart conditions, from what I understand. And it's not myocarditis. It's like what Pete Maravich died of, or Hank Gathers. I don't know if you know these old-time basketball players. I know Pete Maravich, but I don't know the other one, though. What they had is an enlarged heart or aortic complications. Mm Mm-hmm. I believe, or... I, I think Pete Maravich thought of the cardiomyopathy, which is pretty much saying that the heart is, like, very overworked. Like, oh, an large wow. heart. Yes, and that could be genetic. I think he only died at, like, 45 or 42. Yeah. He was very young, and yeah. that's definitely genetic. Very and Lynn Bias was another one, the Celtics' first round, first overall pick, I believe. But I think he was doing massive amounts of cocaine, if oh, I'm not well, mistaken. Oh, well, then, yeah, I mean... If you're doing cocaine, it will kill you in like even when you're 15 or 20. <laughs> so, right. I, I've actually seen when I was in hospital, 20 year old, he went came in with a cocaine dose. 
Overdosed? Overdosed. Next day, the heart just... Oh, God. He had to get a heart transplant. Oh, my goodness. And if Well, I hope like, he wasn't first in line. Because I, I, I know somebody who's in line for a liver transplant, my next-door neighbor right now. See, that's scary. The cocaine is, is a drug that you should never, ever do. Cocaine and heroin, those two are like the worst ones because it can kill you the next day or on the day of. You say that, but I've heard it's benzodiazepines, which is Xanax and alcohol. Those are the two that'll kill you when you come off of them, I believe. Yeah, so the benzodiazepine and the benzodiazepine alcohol, they're both central nervous system depressant. Especially for the benzodiazepine, what it does is that it slows your respiratory rate. When you have too much benzodiazepine, you get up to the point that you will not breathe mm. anymore. So that's the scary part. Obviously, if you that's overdose like taking, it. Sorry to interrupt. That's like taking opioids. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's right? what the opioid does too. Opioid, that, that's why people die. You just stop breathing. Unreal. Yeah. There was a young guy, 28. His name was Jansen Panettiere. I think his sister was a famous actress and they said though it offers little solace the medical examiner reported that his sudden passing was due to cardiomegaly or cardiomegaly cardiomegaly there you go thank you which is enlarged heart coupled with aortic valve complications Mm -hmm. and i believe that's something he didn't know he had I actually wore a halter monitor in Mexico not too long ago. Yeah, you told me about that. I told you about that. You told me about that. Yeah, I get a lot of things done in Mexico because like an MRI or the dental work that I just – I'm going to get done soon. It's like a – the dental work is a 20th of the cost. And if you go to some of the places that I know about, they are just as nice as the places in America. And if you can get – they respect so much when you try to speak Mm -hmm. their language. Yeah, they do. And I had an MRI there done for $132, and it would have been 1800 here. I think it's more, honestly. When I went to get my CT done in my abdomen, when I went to the ER, I could not believe without insurance, it would have been 8000 Well, this was with insurance. I just had a high deductible. <sighs> so I, I went to Mexico. Makes you wonder, why is it so expensive here? Research yeah. and development, probably. And they're not doing the R&D in those countries. So they can charge less. What, 10 times? Almost 10 times? That's the... Yeah. I I don't know how much is wasted on R&D. You know, when you're researching and developing, you hit a lot of failure. Absolutely. So what's that failure rate? And how much, how many billions (laughs) are they wasting? So I don't know. So how much school debt did you finish with? A lot. A lot like 50000 or a lot like 200000 Close to 200000 oh I have to God. say. Oh, my God. Is that the reason you'd go a different route? Yeah. I mean, when you're going through the school, you don't care too much about finances, right? Because you just want to get through the school. You want to pass these classes because you would think that at the end of the road, you get the six-figure job that will take care of the debt in a couple of years, right? Well, come to find out that obviously finances is not something that they harp too much on when we were going through the schools. Cause then if they let us find out, then they will probably think that we'll probably question, is this really the route that yes. I want to go into? And, and it's crazy because even for the surgeons, they struggle because 
if I had like less than 200,000, they probably have almost a million dollar in debt, if not half a million. And more debt that you have, that means that the higher your payments, right? Monthly payments. And a lot of times, you know, these professionals, including myself, like we tend to get through the life. We want to like dive into the lifestyle that we think that we deserve. Right. And then we start to make some, I wouldn't say bad decisions, but probably like the, not the best decisions. Have I recommended The Millionaire Next Door to you yet? I know that book about, I don't know if you recommended it to me just yet. Okay. So the author, Thomas Stanley, died in mm-hmm. a car accident. That's just a side note. Mm-hmm. But he wrote The Millionaire Next Door and The Millionaire Mind, both of which I recommend. And he refers to doctors primarily as UAWs. And he's generalizing, of course, but those are under accumulators of wealth. Mm-hmm. And you're right. There's this this feeling of I deserve a Porsche. I went through all right, this. Yeah. I'm a doctor. And I can remember sitting with a doctor buddy of mine at an Astros game, and we started talking finances. And he said that he had – now, this is net worth – $1.2 million sitting in a savings account. And he had been working. He's a few years older than me. He had been working for about eight, nine years. And that, he's a doctor. That could have been $4 million yeah. if it was just sitting in an index fund. Index fund or in real estate or something. A- anywhere but savings account. <laughs> but nobody is telling doctors what to do with their money. And to just to piggyback on that, my friends, a lot of my friends, they started buying Teslas right after graduation. They started buying houses. So I, I mean, I'm the first one to admit I obviously had some stupid expenses when I first started becoming a pharmacist and started seeing some of the checks coming in. Okay. Oh, it feels I, like a million dollars. It feels like million dollars. And you go it, from making $10 an hour. You start, to- I started buying some like my favorite San Antonio Spurs caps. I used to buy like two or three at a time. And then <laughs> yeah. I just did not, I just did not care at all. And, and I told myself, I deserve this. Of course I deserve this. Yeah. And, but then I realized that for some reason, like my bank account, it's not getting any better in a sense. Why is that? I'm making so much more. And what was your starting salary as a pharmacist? Starting salary was around when I started. So I did two years of postgraduate training after pharmacy school. So my first starting salary was about like 130. 130, that's good. Mm -hmm. That's really good. I remember my brother graduating. I want to say his starting salary was 96,000. So that was in around 2000. And I remember he he said he and his buddies couldn't wait to get out of school because that was the dot-com boom. And Mm -hmm. every day they were looking at the ticker symbols at the bottom of C-SPAN or CNN or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was just green, green, green. Everything was green. (laughs) And so he got out of school. I remember him telling me, I just bought $4,000 worth of WorldCom stock. And that was one of the companies that just went bust. Oh, my God. And he lost all his money. It's so interesting as you get older Mm -hmm. and live through recessions and get wiser. And you know that the person who starts investing $1,000 a month at age 25 – and stops investing at 35 will be wealthier at 65 than the man or woman who starts investing a thousand dollars a month at 35 and stops at 65. I did not know that. That's the power of compound interest, my man. Yeah. So start early. And so 
you, I know, invest a little bit of money in <laughs> QQQ, mm-hmm. right? You're a big yeah. believer in technology. Yeah. So, but it's only like a hundred dollars a month, right? Yeah. I used to do a little bit more aggressive. I used to do about like four or five hundred dollars a month, but then I realized that I'd probably be using some immediate monies elsewhere in my lifestyle. So, I went ahead and like decreased it down to two hundred dollars a month. But uh, yeah, I definitely believe in the compound effect. I think it's definitely the most stable, most guaranteed way in order to start building wealth. And as you know, time is your biggest asset whenever it comes to the investment. It's not about strategy. It's not about all these like fancy, <laughs> fancy things that you, you implement. It's, it's a time. It's Keep a it time. simple. Yeah. yeah time, time is your biggest asset and yeah. you're smart. Like myself, you have a roommate, right? I know. Yeah. I had a roommate until I was 31 yeah. years old. I know. And you're the one that helped out with that writing for my roommate. And he specifically told me, like, yeah, this writing just sounded a lot like my friend who rented me out when I was in North Carolina. So that got me hooked into it. So <laughs> yeah, that's I, going really well right now. Awesome. So you live in a in a sizable house, but you do, plan yeah. to get at least you have one roommate or two? I just have a one roommate okay. at the moment. So that's called house hacking. It now yeah. has a term. When I was doing it in 03, it didn't have a term. But uh, I'm glad to hear you're doing that. And are you paying the minimum on your school debt or are you trying to accelerate payments on that? So as of right now, I haven't actually made any payments at the moment because when I was about to make a payment, that's when the COVID hit. Oh, okay. And then they stopped the... So if anything, this is the time where you should be paying as much as you can because it's still under the 0% lock at the moment. And what the U.S. government is doing right now is they keep pushing back the deadlines and deadlines and deadlines and deadlines. As of right now, some people take advantage of it and say, okay, I'm going to try to use it as much as I can. Have I told you that I have two clients whose debt has been wiped out? Yeah, you told me. $70,000. I still can't believe how that happened. (laughs) And do you know, I think one of them works for the VA as a physician's assistant. I don't know if you told me that she actually worked. She's she, right? She. Yeah. This one that had $70,000 wiped out. And I think it has something to do with the fact that she had paid 10 years in a row, worked for the VA, never missed a payment. And she couldn't believe it. She opened up her account one day and it was zero. And she said, I'm not calling. I'm too scared. I don't want to mess anything (laughs) up. And then the same thing happened to another client shortly thereafter. So you may want to start paying on that. But then there's also, I've read articles about it being illegal, that Biden is doing this illegally. But there's no way they can ask for that money back. You can just say, I've spent it all. Yeah, so there's that this. Ten to twenty thousand dollar forgiveness for the for the loans. As you know, right now it's actually being blocked by the Supreme Court at the moment because they said that executive branch does not have the authority to make this decision. So mm. they actually halted it. It's still on the standby. This I know client of mine, I should say, is African American. I wonder if that may play a part also, because it may it may very well be Biden has outlined who's first in line Mm -hmm. for these sorts of things and myself i would be last (laughs) (laughs) which i don't know how that's going to work you know Mm -hmm. i have a half daughter and who knows what happens in the future as there are more and more halves Mm -hmm. 
but it's all interesting. I have a client. He's a white fella. He has an African-American wife. They tried to start a business, but I believe he had the knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so if I remember correctly, they wouldn't give them the grant that they sought because Mm -hmm. she would have had to pass the test, but she was the African-American. Very interesting. I don't know. I'll I'll get details on that for you, but I believe that's how it went down. Because she was African-American? So they thought they would get the women-owned business or minority-owned business grant to start this business. Oh, okay, okay. And I guess she was going to be the administrator. I don't even know if she was going to do that. I don't know, but it was his deal primarily. Mm -hmm. So it'd be like me trying to do something with Miriam and putting Miriam's name on it. And then them saying, well, Miriam's the minority. Mm -hmm. Miriam's my wife. So she's going to have to take the test. If I remember correctly, that's how it went down. And so they didn't get the grant. But crazy that is interesting. world yeah. we live in. So one of the things that really impresses me about you is that you're not just a pharmacist. Mm-hmm. What else do you do? I'm also a real estate agent on the side. That's awesome. And I have a deal going right now, which has been keeping me up like every single day. Why is that? Here's another thing that a lot of people don't know about real estate is that mm-hmm. it's just the uh, people see in the social media only the end products of what the real estate gives you. They think that it's a very easy money. Yes. That they think it's a very carefree job. They think the home itself, I mean, it's just a home. What is it going to do? What problems can it cause? Now I'm asking what kind of problem it can it not cause <laughs> in a sense because I'm going through one right now and we're having to order so many different kinds of inspection. And once you get under the contract, this is for all the people that might want to know, is that once you get into a contract with the seller and the buyer, you're only given X number of days for you to do all the inspections, make all the amendments, negotiate, and then put it under the contract again before the deadline ends. You can ask for an extension on the option period, Mm -hmm. just so you know. And sellers are usually amenable to that. But you're right. Once you're under contract, the reason you want to get inspections done as soon as possible is Mm -hmm. so that you have time to, well, first of all, you're going to get the general inspector, basically a generalist out there, who's going to say, you need an HVAC technician out here. You need a plumber out here. I know. You need an electrician out here. So you want to have time to do that. And 10 days is not that much time because they have things on their schedule already. Yeah. And what's crazy is usually in the COVID times, it used to be just three days. Or some people would just mm. waive the whole inspection. Yes, absolutely. And next thing they realize that, oh, the whole foundation is falling apart or <laughs> there's a roof falling apart. There's a whole plumbing issues that people don't see. It's always the things that you don't see that always like kick you in the butt in the end. And that's something that I'm learning so much about in the real estate. It's just like, yeah, a lot of people got yeah. screwed in COVID waiving inspection periods. You're right. That's a terrible mistake. It's one of the biggest mistakes you can ever make. Like, yes. If you don't do inspection, be prepared for what might be under that. <laughs> yes, because foundation issues is, is it's a major problem or a plumbing roof. issue where a root is going through a pipe underneath the house or roof or whatever. And I had given you some advice earlier. I don't know if you had heard, you probably knew this already, but I had always advised, and I still do, I don't do as much real estate anymore, but 
I had always advised my clients, buyer clients, to show up to the inspection the last 10, 15 minutes of the inspection. Mm-hmm. The inspector will go through with you. I mean, he he gets off on that, <laughs> going and showing you what he found. Mm-hmm. And his job is to find a booger on the wall. You're writing him a check. So you can bet your ass he's going to find some things. Mm-hmm. Let him show those things to you. And you can ask him, hey, Mr. Inspector, would you buy this house? That is one of the best questions you can ask. Yeah. So honestly, my inspector yesterday, like, I didn't even have to ask that question. He said, at the end, I think it's a good house. I would buy it myself. Wow. So That's good. But we still have to get, make sure that all the other ones are taken care of. Thank God for this house. We didn't necessarily have like a huge, huge, huge expenses that we're expecting, but we just want to make sure that we have everything. Because, you know, general inspections, like, they don't go detailed enough to the specialized areas like roofing, plumbing, and then and then foundations. But we want to make sure that we're doing some some more due diligence just to make sure that uh, our clients are covered, right? Because the last thing you want is that, oh, this whole plumbing is messed up and we couldn't see it. And mm-hmm. it, it was too deep for the general inspections to look into during that time, so... It's a lot. It's a lot of back work that people never see in they the real estate. They yes. never see because it's, it's ugly. Because it's ugly, ugly, ugly. And honestly, a lot of times the vacations, you're taking work with you, or else like it's not gonna get done. And yes. I guess that's that's what being an entrepreneur is. And I'm pretty new to this business too, right? So it's very eye opening in a sense that man. This is why people want to do five to nine because it's easy money. <laughs> you know how many people I've had on the podcast who have asked me about starting their own podcast after the fact? Uh-huh. Real estate was the exact same way. When you make it look easy. So take it as a compliment I know. because when you make it look easy, they want to then do it. Podcasting is it's a lot of work. I know. <laughs> it's a lot of I mean, work. because... Yeah, I can imagine just scheduling itself is stressful as hell, right? Because, yes. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. I wasn't even supposed to be here today, but yeah. <laughs> My <laughs> special guest did not show today, and he's gone dark on me 36 hours before showing up. And so, Jay, he had come to town, and we were playing a game of pickleball, and I said, Jay, I haven't heard from my guest that is coming at 3 o'clock do you want a guest on my show? I've rented this recording studio, 360recordingstudio.com, if anybody wants to check it out in Houston. They do a great job. It's the guy's pretty, name is really JD. Nice. Uh, hit him up or hit me up, and I'll hook you up with him. And we're doing it professional style, Joe Rogan style. <laughs> like We got the headphones on and everything. But we had no prep. So I prepped for another guest today, and so we have winged it. And all of my clients, I haven't said this yet, but you are one of my coaching clients. All of my coaching clients are studs. All of you could be guests of mine because all but one of you have a side hustle. And the one that doesn't, I am trying to get him a side Mm -hmm. hustle, working really hard to do that. Actually met and played pickleball with him a couple weeks ago. He's from New Orleans. He has gone from a $67,000 salary to a $120,000 salary. Wow. Everybody is just killing. If I mm. told you the stories of the the girl whose debt was wiped out, she went from negative 164,000 
in net worth to now plus 60,000. Wow. And I've been working with her for four years. We're going to start buying houses in the San Antonio area. So I've hooked her up with a realtor there. She gets notified when something that matches her criteria comes on the market. And she's going to do exactly as I did because she doesn't want to work a nine to five anymore. She wants to do whatever she wants with her day. Mm -hmm. She wants time wealth. Yeah. And I think you do too. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason why I got into real estate is because I, I wanted to, I kind of wanted to escape route from the rat, rat race. I told myself, I, I love being a pharmacist. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a very noble profession. But at the same time, any profession becomes nine to five. Everybody goes to work from nine to five at the end of the day. And a lot of times, if somebody makes like 200000 and I make 150000 right now, Honestly, I don't really care that much anymore because I know that uh, there's more than just the money at this point of my life. And I'm trying to make sure that the money is a byproduct rather than the end goal of mine. But I just wanted to really get out there, get out of my comfort zone and just see what I can do to start up a new business as a real estate agent. And it's I love the, that. And it's just so, in my opinion, it's more of a culture shock than me coming to the United States for the wow. first time. Why is that? Because I've been in professional setting for the last eight years through the school, as well as like working. I mean, I should probably say every like last 10 years that I've been into, because I've, I've lived in such a very structured life, in a sense, like going to the school, homeworks, assignments, tests. And then after that, you're giving a guidelines to, in your hospital that you just need to follow. Make sure that you don't, you don't do this. Make sure you do this. You have your supervisor who keeps you accountable. When you come to entrepreneurship, like you're the only one that's going to keep yourself accountable. There is no such thing as a guidelines or protocol. You literally get what you put in. If you put in gold, the gold will come out. If you put in garbage, garbage in, garbage out. So there were so many aspects of the entrepreneurship that people think it's just very easy. And I'm learning it for the last 10 months that I've been in the real estate. It's not easy at all. But that's the reason why I wanted to get in there, right? Because I wanted something more just than my nine to five jobs. What made you decide to look for a coach? At first, I was looking for a real estate investor coach. That's what I was looking for. And how I met Brad was through the Robert Leonard Spotify channel for the for the podcasts and that's right. I was a guest on Robert Leonard's yeah. Real Estate Investor Podcast. And and I didn't even know that he had his own podcast until I met him. And Talking about me? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's like he called himself a man overseas. I'm like, okay, I guess that's a catchy title. <laughs> but the way that that interview just like really resonated out with you and Robert Leonard is because you didn't spend any much time on real estate investing, honestly. You spent a lot of time on other aspects. And that uh, he was also very like fascinated by that. How could you be financially free just with five or six properties that you had? I told myself, you know what? I think I should talk to this guy and see what, what would happen. But even then, I still wanted to learn just the real estate investing. But when I started talking to you, you were coaching to me about holistic aspects, which I was at first a little bit reluctant because I'm like, why does this guy keep talking about holistic stuff? But then 
I realized that just in order to be a successful person, which is what I'm craving for, there's so many different branches that you need to take care of. It's not just the financial, it's not just the investing. And I guess like I also, without even me knowing, I was longing for someone to guide me through where I was going. Because I feel like up until then, I was just a servant to the nine to five. And every day just felt like the same. And I'll admit, I wasn't really making the best decisions for myself. I was gaining a lot of weight. I was not taking care of myself physically. And I was making the right decisions in the relationships. And I was not really in the best time of my life. And I guess like it was something that I was longing for that I didn't really realize until it actually happened. That, oh, wow. And what would you say is the biggest benefit or has been the biggest benefit of having a one-on-one coach that you speak with weekly? Absolutely. Accountability. In some way, in a sense, it can be a therapy too, because you have someone that you, you can talk to. Sometimes that you can't really talk like these to your parents, unfortunately. I mean, I feel like I do pretty well with my parents. I do, especially with my mom. But in a deep stuff like this, even they don't necessarily understand they're still very much in that rat race kind of like a mindset. And and even the mental health part, they, they just don't get it in a sense. Because just in Asian culture, just FYI, mental health does not exist. Really? In Asian culture. <laughs> now they're starting to talk about it, but it just it does not exist as prominently as in the United States. Yeah, and you've I'm, had mental health issues? Yeah, I hate to admit it, but... Sometimes I do get anxious a lot more than I than I need to be. And obviously, I have my days and times where I don't feel 100% mentally as well. I think we all have days where we don't feel 100%. And mm-hmm. it can be so helpful to hear that from someone that we respect, especially on a regular basis, you realize... You're not the only one going through problems. Everybody has problems. I tell Mm -hmm. people all the time, you don't get to a a place in life on this vaunted perch from which you no longer have problems. And whether that's multimillionaire, financially independent, beautiful wife, kids, Mm -hmm. beautiful home, gated fence, driving a Lambo. I like to ask this question, like, who do you think is happier, you or Kim Kardashian, right? <laughs> and she's a billionaire with kids, and, you know, it. that's why I'm such a big proponent of competing with yourself, and that's where the journal comes in. And you don't remember where you were in 2019, mm-hmm. but if it was written down and you could go back and read where you were – you would realize how far you've come. Now, I've gotten a text while we've been sitting here from one of my clients who has, I don't know what his number is now, but he's journaled for something like 63 days in a row. And his accountability is sending me a picture of his journal entry. Oh, yeah, you told, yeah, you told me about that. And yeah. every <laughs> one of them has three different things he's grateful for every day. And he's just, I can tell he's becoming a better writer, Mm -hmm. a better thinker, more clarity. There's just so many benefits. Mm -hmm. So every client of mine is a journaler. Every client of mine sets goals. We review them quarterly. 
I usually let them direct the call if they want because we all have our own issues that we need to discuss. And if they don't have something for that week for us to discuss, what makes my job easy is I can tell them about what I'm talking about with other clients and what they're going through because if you haven't faced this yet, look out for this. This is coming. Like, for example, you're a single man. By the way, if your perfect type is out there listening right now, describe her to me. <laughs> perfect type physically or like just in like education or? Yes. Like hmm. Interesting. So for me, my But per- she wasn't listening if we talked about this. Yeah. I mean, she I guess. She may I, be listening. Yes. Or her friend may be listening. Absolutely. Just FYI, my name is Jay. <laughs> I go by Dr. Real Estate on my social media if you guys want to check me out. But I guess for my like ideal type would be the I would like the girl to be educated, educated enough to have ourselves like a good conversation. You know why that's so important? This is what I tell you guys. Mm-hmm. You want a woman that you are comfortable mm-hmm. knowing that you're going to have 37,824 meals with. Yeah, we, we talked about this. <laughs> yeah, because if you if you can't just have like a normal general conversation with them, how can you do that 37,840 meals together? That's what you're together? signing up yeah. for. And I'm coming to find out that that's just, it's so important. I mean, it should be the most important, but a lot of times initially, obviously the looks Looks are just that important initially. Well, and I think for good reason, because a man needs inspiration. Right. And a lot of times that comes from waking up and looking at how beautiful your wife is and just being like, God damn, let me get after it and provide for her and this Mm -hmm. beautiful daughter I've got here. Yeah. So it gets you out of bed. It gets you going. There is nothing wrong with Mm -hmm. having that as one of your higher values no doubt honestly like ideally i would like my next second trade like i would like her to be a little bit more traditional like receptive to the traditional values too just having the okay so that's interesting because Mm -hmm. you've moved from a place where they're most traditional women especially yeah to a place where they're becoming less traditional every day well how do you reconcile? You, you'd be surprised. Like South Korea is actually not that not traditional society at all. Really, not, not anymore. They become too westernized. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, obviously, like I'm not saying that I want my my significant other or my wife to be like like a servant to me. That's not what I'm saying. But I would like her to be able to put the family as a as a priority instead of just. By, by herself because if I have a family like I know I'm going to give every 1000% of my energy and power to make sure that my family is protected my family is taken care of and my family is loved that's number just holding on to and just cherishing the traditional value I think it's I think it's a beautiful thing and that's something that a lot of times both girls and guys nowadays they don't necessarily respect too much and I guess like for number three it's just the, uh, it's the looks. Looks are, I mean, like you said, this is a person that I'm going to wake up next out of my bed. And obviously, I want her to be someone that I've been dreaming about. Yeah. Obviously. So. Yeah. Well, I never thought I would marry 
someone who wasn't Caucasian. So if I were giving advice, I would say don't narrow your vision to a certain race or ethnicity because yeah. you never know. I never thought I would marry someone with an Hispanic heritage, but mm-hmm. it's it's enriched my life. I've learned so much from mm-hmm. her family and and spending mm-hmm. holidays with them and the traditions they mm-hmm. have. That's all enriched my life. Whereas if I marry your average Caucasian woman, hopefully I marry better than average, but you're doing the same thing twice, right? Yeah. Instead of getting a little variety yeah. and enrichment. You've told me that Asian women aren't number one for you. It would probably be what? A white woman? If you had your choice? <laughs> well, I mean, this, and again, this is for all the podcast people. This is just my personal preference, right? So, I mean, the, yeah. I think because I've been exposed to a lot of the Hispanic cultures, I've grown to liking a lot of the Hispanic culture food and the woman, mm. obviously. So, I'll have to say Hispanic ladies are my number one. Mm-hmm. That's like number one for me. And then... Afterwards, it goes down to the other races. For some reason, I'm very attracted to like the Middle Eastern girls. I think they're very, they're very beautiful. And also, I think they still do hold a lot of the traditional values, which actually like a very, very attractive. A lot of people don't realize how attractive that is. A lot of the guys won't really say this, but guys really, really like traditional women. And just Let me the ask you this. The, yeah. Uh-huh. If I, as your coach, you're, you obviously would have researched or Googled me first. Right. If I were married to a woman who weighed 195 pounds <laughs> and I was out of shape myself, would you have hired me as your coach? I would think twice. Yeah. Obviously. Right? Yeah. Because it says so much about a person who doesn't take care of himself, yeah. who mm-hmm. can't attract a woman who is, I mean... You're not going to find a 10 and a half like I did. But, I mean, you may because you're a stud guy, but not too many guys are going to find 10 and a halves. My wife told me last night that she listened to my last podcast episode. She's never told me that, by the way. And so. So she is watching you. So I'm surprised she listened. I don't know why she listened, but she did. And so. uh, And she got to hear what her husband says. (laughs) Yes. And I can edit this to where. This sounds good <laughs> to where I say ten and a half, and I don't mention the other stuff. So anyway, so ideally, if you had to throw a dart, and that dart had circles of thirty-one, thirty-two, thirty-three, thirty-four, thirty-five, where do you and you have perfect aim? At what age are you getting married? If you asked me like about ten years ago, I would have told you like I would have wanted to get married at twenty-five or twenty-six. That's what I wanted to get married at because I wanted to settle as quickly as I could. But now I'm reaching towards 30. I'm going to be 30 in about three months. So it goes fast. I, was, I know, it? I know. But ideally, I'd like to get married before I turn 33. That would be my preference. But again, still waiting for the right lady. Well, you may be doing yourself a disservice getting married at 33 because you know there have been surveys done. The results of the survey are that women find men most attractive at age 35. 35, yeah. And men find women most attractive at age 22, 23, somewhere in there. So you're on the way up, which is why I tell you guys, man, if you get dumped, don't worry about it. You are on the way up. 
your stock is rising like crazy and you're only getting wealthier and wiser and that's only going to make yourself more appealing to women and just facing rejection too yeah you learn how to accept it better to where you may accept rejection in a way that is so appealing that she comes after and chases you i've Mm -hmm. had that happen to me more than once Uh, that's something that i'm still learning to like learning how to overcome the rejections and everything and that's that's why you got me because let me tell you i was engaged until august of 2011 i turned 31 in june of 2011 the amount that i learned between August of 2011, and now about male-female dynamics. Astronomical. A thousandfold. It just makes me realize how much of a dummy I was in my 20s. I didn't know anything. So somebody, a client who's 24 and just broke up with his girlfriend, he was leaving his parents' house, and I tell you guys, I show you my phone if we have a Zoom call, and I say... This is yours. Use it. Call me. Text me anytime you want. He texted me on a Sunday, just leaving my parents' house. I broke up with my girlfriend, and I'm distraught. And I recommended a book to him, and he said, thank you. I dodged a effing bullet in all caps. And I said, that book and one other, I would pay a quarter million dollars to have read those books when I was 23 years old. Because I got out of a six and a half year relationship at age 23, and I had a very hard time dealing mm-hmm. with that. And I was the one who did the breaking up. Mm-hmm. So, whatever that's worth. Let's do fun questions. You up for it? Let's do it. Which is your favorite social media app? You know, it's crazy. As much as I use social media, I don't like using social media. I'm the same way. It's like it's, you're forced. It's for if the you're an entrepreneur. Exactly. It's for the entrepreneur like endeavors and for my real estate endeavors. But I tell my all my friends and I, guys, I'm not really a big fan of social media. Mm. I love learning about these things, but at the same time, I don't want to compare myself to the other people. That's something I just don't like to do. But if they don't know you through the social media, you're like a hundred yards below from someone who's just kicking ass in social media yeah. contents. So it's essential nowadays, but at the same time, is that something that I personally like to do? But not really. If I have to choose one, honestly, I'm enjoying out of all three that I use, Facebook, TikTok, as well as Instagram. I think Instagram is my favorite. You have a lot to think about because Mm -hmm. I've referred quite a few clients to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Mm -hmm. And there's one guy in particular I have in mind who only posts million, multi-million dollar homes. And therefore, I think that if I have a $300,000 client, I don't even think to refer him the business. I refer it elsewhere. And I I believe I shared that with him. I'm not – I don't know. But – Yeah, so that's just one of the things that you have to think about, and you have to think about how often should I do this? Right. Are people going to be annoyed by seeing my ads all the time? But if you're not paying Facebook and Instagram, your ads aren't being seen anyway. Yeah, and that's a whole other thing that I'm I'm starting to like learn to just uh, add business. It is huge. Yes, they make so much money out of so much money. Buy stock. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> because really, if you posted something right now, if I post this podcast episode, it'll be seen by about 54 people. And I've got a thousand friends, at least, I'm right. sure. Yeah. If I pay them, then I'll get more views. Mm-hmm. But I think they're lying to me about how many views. How do we know how many views it's getting? Have you actually used the ad manager? Not yet. Through the no. Facebook? Uh-uh. So it actually tells you how many accounts that they have reached. Yes, and but how do we know they're telling us the truth? We don't know. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's that. That's the algorithm that's telling us how many of the accounts that you reach. They should but, tell us which accounts it reaches. That way we could say, hey, Mike. It tells you the demographics, like the that, age range that they're going to. That's what I'm to. talking about. Yeah, I know. But you're saying that which profile that it reached to, right? Yeah, I should be able to say, hey, Mike Dunlavey in Dallas, Looked Fort Worth. at your profile. Did you see the ad? That might be, in my opinion, that might be a little bit like a privacy breach <laughs> just to see the... Well, I just want proof that the money that I'm spending is actually reaching these people. Well, I do have to say, though, if you're going to do ads, like be prepared to put some money in there because I was being a little stingy at first. Mm-hmm. Did co- ran a couple of ads, just like $5 a day. Nothing. No Nothing. leads whatsoever. I did that for seven days. But when I did $20 for just three days... I got way more leads. Really? That's a little bit of a tip for you. What constitutes a lead? So my specific lead is a form, right? Like they click on my page and then it prompts you to go through the contact information. Like how soon do you want to buy your home? Okay. Where are you looking for? Something like that. Very short. Okay. And once they fill that out, it'll come to my, like the leads results. These are the people that contacted you, that submitted the forms, and you're allowed to contact them. Obviously, they they provided that. Right. It's night and day. Like if you're going to do Facebook ads, like you have to be willing to spend some money on there or else you are going to get nothing. 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 Especially if you're just a normal Facebook content. If you have like a 50,000 or like 100,000 follower, then obviously you might not even need that because you're... You just need to like post it and then you might get leads right there. But if you're just like a normal entrepreneur trying to get it, get it started, like me, literally you need to put some money in there or else you're not getting anything. Yeah. And it's always about 5% because I'll tweet something Mm -hmm. unrelated to coaching or Mm -hmm. anything, even though I call myself coach man overseas and I'll hit the button to see how many views that tweet has. Mm -hmm. And I believe I have 586 followers. It'll be seen by like 32 people, which is crazy because there was a time, remember, when every post was seen chronologically. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, regardless of whether you were advertising Mm -hmm. or not. Have you ever spent money on an app? What app? Any app. Oh, yeah. Canva is probably the one one that I use. Oh, yeah. So I see $12.99 deducted from our account every (laughs) month. What is that? Twelve ninety nine from Euro. Yeah, my wife uses Canva for oh. something. Well, I paid everything up front. I paid one hundred and twenty dollars oh, for, for, for the whole year. Oh, okay. It's cheaper that way, but well, she needs to be doing that. But too. I love, thank you. I love Canva. All of my Facebook ads or any of the like the posters that I do, I go through Canva. Okay, it's very easy to make, and once you make it, it lets you upload it right through the Facebook or Instagram right away. So. Most people know I'm a huge proponent of virtual assistants in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Could I give them access to my Canva account that I share with my wife and they could do ads? Because I'm looking to. for two more coaching clients mm-hmm. on Thursdays. Mm-hmm. 
could they do that for me? They should be able to. Okay. I don't think they even need your. Oh, I guess like the for for the premium access. For Canva, you can still use it for free, but it's not worth it. You have to pay for it. You absolutely need to pay for it. Well, I, I do twelve ninety nine a month. Oh well, then yeah, then obviously yeah. I think as long as you share the account information, then you can go ahead and like just start making some designs. They got millions of templates that they can go by. Well, I want my virtual assistant to do this. Yeah. And they mm-hmm. can do it with my login or something? They should be able to. Okay. Yeah, unless like Canva's only available in the United States. That I don't know. Well, I do know that the only way that I can pay her is through PayPal. So we can't use Venmo or any Zelle or any mm-hmm. of these other things. So that gets complicated. But virtual assistants, I say these two things. If you're an American and you don't have a business, you're a bit of an ignoramus because of deductions. Mm-hmm. And two... You should have a virtual assistant in the Philippines. They will save you so much time. Their English is good. You wake up. The work that you don't want to do is in your inbox in the morning when you wake up because they're sleeping when we're awake and yeah, 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 yeah. It's just wonderful. So if you need a referral there, let me know. I will help you. I can send you a few resumes. If you could meet one person, who would it be? Dead or alive, right? Let's do a live first. A live, okay. That's a good question. And I don't want to come up with like the generic, like the celebrity, because everybody wants to be a celebrity. Well, celebrity, they've usually attained some celebrity status because true. they've yeah. achieved something. 20 years ago, that was definitely true. <laughs> Nowadays, maybe not. You know what? <laughs> Nowadays, I actually want to meet and sit down and have a conversation with Dr. Jordan Peterson. <laughs> but That would be a good one. But I feel like I'm not going to understand half the things of what he says because his vocabulary is just so high up in the level to the point that I'm like, half of the times I'm going to try to figure out what he's talking to me about. <laughs> You're not giving yourself enough credit. If Joe Rogan can talk to Jordan That is true, Peterson, yeah. But he would be very interesting to talk to. He'd be like so, so interesting to talk to about what's going on and how are you handling all this going on because he got banned for like multiple platforms already as far as i know the man's talking the truth and he's been labeled as nazi neo-nazi any kind of a hateful speech or like identification you can think of he's got it i'm like i feel like he's just talking the truth professor but nowadays like it's it's irrelevant it's irrelevant can't speak the truth anymore exactly yeah it's a new world It'll be interesting to listen to episodes like this 25 mm-hmm. years from now and just see, wow, you couldn't speak the truth. I mean, they were dead serious when they were talking about that. Hopefully things change. I do too, yeah. I think it starts with getting the right people mm-hmm. in the right places. And unfortunately, the people who want to be in those places are the ones you don't want in those places. Yeah. If I gave you $100,000 and told you you had to invest it in Spotify, Apple, or Tesla, where would you put the money? Probably Tesla. Tesla? Yeah. Is that because $100,000 is not that much money to you and you feel like Tesla is more of a gamble or you're so young and you could go broke and recover? Or what what is your thought there? Well, so I think Tesla, even though... It had like a tremendous success so far. I think, in my opinion, because I look at Tesla, I look at Elon Musk, right? And 
Elon Musk is just as hungry as he is when he was 10 or 20 years ago. Like, this guy is not going to stop. This guy is a serial entrepreneur who's like, he's got a passion of what he does. And I do believe that he's going to really take the Tesla to the next level in addition to what he currently has at the moment. Why not buy Twitter stock? Twitter is something that, well, Twitter is a different story. I feel like he tried to get out of the deal. And he's, he was almost forced to like buy the Twitter. So I don't know he actually has that much invested in him as the when, for, for the Tesla. So Twitter, first of all, I don't really know too much about Twitter. I never had a Twitter account. That's also another thing. And knowing that Elon Musk does not really, I feel like he doesn't really have much invested in that app versus the Tesla. I think Tesla has, like the sky is limit for, for Tesla at the moment. Dude, with the way the EV electrical vehicle is getting so much sensation nowadays. Everybody's getting Tesla at the moment. And eventually, I think the once we start to see some like huge like shortage in the oil, I mean, we're going to have to turn to some other renewable energy. EV will, in my opinion, will in the next 10 years, will start to be a normal standard form of transportation. And Tesla is so much further ahead of everybody else. Do you have a car payment right now? I do. Why'd you do that? Because I couldn't afford the whole car at the time. <laughs> How much is your car payment? About 430 a okay. month. That's not bad. Yeah. 0% APR. Oh, nice. But as you know, like my my goal this year is to pay off that as soon as possible. Even though it is a 0% APR, but that's something that another debt that I want to get get rid of. Is that your only debt besides the school loan debt? Absolutely not. I mean, the house mortgage. The mortgage, yeah. yeah. That's another one. But I did accrue a lot of, I, I did accrue quite a bit of equity from the housing. Thanks to, I guess, thanks you to COVID. It at the right time, yeah. I did. If I could have, if I did it a little bit different, I would have bought it when I first moved to Dallas-Fort Worth, which was like August 2020. Well, you need to live in a place first, I think, to decide which part of town yeah. you want to be in. If I gave you tickets to a comedy show, a live comedy that was in town in DFW tomorrow night, because I know you're headed back tonight. So let's say tomorrow night mm -hmm. the show is... Either Eddie Murphy, Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle, Bill Burr, or Louis C.K. Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle. All the way. Okay. Eddie Murphy, Bill Burr, or Louis C.K. Bill Burr. Bill Burr. <laughs> that guy's hilarious. What's the most you've ever gambled and lost? I lost about $400 in one night at, at Vegas. I still remember in Aria Hotel. <laughs> That's the most ever? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not a big gambler. Mm. For that, I mean, I was pissed that day. Like, I yeah. only, I think I only gambled for about two hours. And, like, at first, in my first 30 minutes, I think I gained about 100 bucks. Man, but I lost all of them at 400. I mean, honestly, I, I was too chicken to put, like, $1,000 in, in the pot. What did you play? It's just a blackjack as well as, and some slot machines. They got 400 out of me for sure. What's the most you've ever gambled in one? Not much, actually. Only about 50 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Have you noticed young guys having much less testosterone than they used to? Oh, yeah. Why do you think that is? 
Well, I think it's just going back to how the, right now the society, men are becoming more feminine, females are becoming more masculine. And this goes back down to like the lack of sleep too. Because if you don't get enough sleep, that kills your testosterone. That's number one too. Uh, that, that's like a really big contributing factor. And I know we talked about this. One of the first things that the people are willing to give up on is the number of hours of sleep and then the quality of the sleep. And as far as I know, I don't think that our generation sleeping any longer than the generations before, definitely. And, and we give it up voluntarily for no reason. Absolutely. And it hurts so much. Do you have a bucket list? Do I actually have like a physical bucket list? I do not. But one thing that I really want to do is skydiving. Anything else you want to do before you die? Places you want to go? If I said you had to live for the next 90 days in one place, where would it be? I honestly want to be in an area where there is not much greed in there. That's a very general way to say it, but like, I really want to get back into this like concept of the spirituality and the nature. And then if I can just live for like next 90 days in like in Caribbean with the people that I, that I really truly care about, that's something that I'll be really content with. Mm -hmm. Just be away from all this jobs, <laughs> all this business and everything. Cause sometimes as much as I love these like endeavors, I feel like there's so much more within yourself that we never really figure out before we die. Because yeah. there's no time for introspection, really. Exactly. My wife and I took our daughter to a church of a denomination that we had never attended together before. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like it because it was mostly singing. And then he had a speech that I could have given. It was about journaling. The biggest benefit to my journaling, I believe, has been how many others have started journaling as a result mm -hmm. of my journaling. Right. So I felt like I could have given this speech or done a better job, and mm -hmm. then the rest of the time we sang. Mm -hmm. Whereas the church that I was raised in is Catholic, and there's a lot of time. It's boring when you're mm -hmm. a kid, but there's a lot of time to think, mm -hmm. and therefore reflection, introspection. Mm -hmm. And we don't do that enough in today's society. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we would benefit from that. Yeah. But people aren't going to church anymore. Do you know that studies have been done that show that those who are in the bottom quartile of happiness, who then attend church services, I don't know how many months hence, but we're talking about they go from the bottom quartile in happiness to the top quartile of happiness. Is that unreal or what? You know, the one of the things that I'm finding out about the very successful people is that one of the very important aspects when they ask them that what, what got you to be very successful and content with your life? Very common denominator that I find is a faith. Yes. And for me, I don't know if I told you about this, like the faith is a very foreign subject to me because I was not raised to be any religious at all. My mm -hmm. parents were not that religious. My mom is Buddhist, but she's not even a devout Buddhist. But I grew up with a lot of the friends who were Christians. I was never a Christian. I was never a Buddhist per se. 
And that's something that was never really like raised up with me while, while I was growing up. And still to this day, it's very foreign concept to me to see people either going to the church every Sunday or seeing like my Muslim friends praying a couple times a day. That's something that's very foreign to me. What are they praying to? What are they longing for in their life? Because、mm. like, I was taught by my parents to be a good person, be as good person as you can be, but don't be so nice that people take advantage of you. That was like my golden rule that I got from my parents. And in my opinion, I think they raised a pretty decent son. But I do feel like, what if faith is something that I've been missing? Maybe that's something that I need to maybe look into. That's a lot of questions I've been asking myself lately. Well, you've said that you're a fan of Jordan Peterson. He's been asked if he believes in God. Do you know what he said? I don't remember. What did he say? I conduct myself as if there is one, as if there is a God. You know, I do remember him saying that. <laughs> I was reading a story the other day about, I don't know if he was a pastor. Or not, but he was giving advice to this younger man.、Mm-hmm. This younger man was atheist and refused to pray. He encouraged him to pray to get over this anxiety、mm-hmm. that he had. And he said, Do me a favor. I don't care if you believe in God or not. Kneel down on a pillow, pretend like there's a God, and just try this before you go to bed at night、mm-hmm. and ask God to help you deal with your anxiety. Mm-hmm. And you do that for seven days and come back and tell me how you feel. And he came back and he said, That was amazing. Yeah, I still don't believe in God, but just pretending like there is a God, I feel a change in me and I'm less anxious. And thank you. And I thought、yeah. that was beautiful. Jay? This was the most short notice podcast that we've ever done. You were an excellent guest. You have a very interesting story. I'm so impressed with how driven you are. I always say, don't squander your youthful energy. You're 29 years old, and I can see you trying to serve your clients as best as you can. You're highly meticulous and detail oriented with your real estate clients. If I had to refer someone tomorrow to someone in the DFW area, I would send them to Dr. Real Estate. Yep, Dr. Real Estate, Texas. And how would they find you? They would find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook, Dr. Real Estate underscore Texas. Anything else you want to share with our listeners before we part ways here? The main thing that I want to say is that I'm only 29. But someone told me life doesn't get easier. Life really doesn't get any easier. There's going to be another like, thing or someone that's going to be there to challenge you. And every day is just like a testament to that. I truly believe like, how you conduct yourself, how you react to it. And if you didn't react to it correctly, I keep telling myself that's okay. It is like, okay, it's not the end. Yes. I mean, I told you about Shia Liboff. He's kind of crazy in a certain sense, but I, the, his quote really does resonate with me. At the end of the day, it's going to be okay. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. For some reason, that really resonated with me. And I try to like, train myself a little bit better at that because 
I tend to be very self-critical. But at the same time, I mean, that was a very long way to tell these listeners, but just forgive yourself, learn from it, and just work towards your goal. And that's what I'm trying to do. Yep. And they say that the climb is just as enjoyable as the peak. In mm -hmm. fact, the climb is probably more enjoyable. So you may look back one day and say, God, I wish I was 29 again. I'd trade places with you. You to would? To be 29, to get another 14 years? That probably is true. So. That is true. Yeah. Maybe not 29, but I'd trade places with a 22 or a 23. That's how I feel about that. That's what I think the same too if I see someone that's in 18 or 19. Yeah. Man, well, if I can go back. Too soon old, too late smart, right? I know. But what you said about problems is an important point that we should probably spend a minute on because you're right. Problems don't stop coming, but you develop yourself so that they become less of a problem. Yeah. But you'll always have problems no matter who you are, where you are, what your lot in life is. There will always be problems. It's built into the fabric of life. Everybody that you and I know will die one day. Mm -hmm. What does that tell you? You might as well enjoy it. Enjoy the journey. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. The issues and problems are the least racist. <laughs> they don't discriminate anything. Exactly. Everybody has different kind of problems. It's just the way how you react and deal with it. I mean, honestly, there are a lot of issues that I didn't deal with it properly, but I know better now, though. There you go. And what you said is probably the greatest reason to be kind to people because everybody's going through something yeah. that you know nothing <laughs> about. And I know that's cliche, but we are. We're all struggling mm -hmm. with something. Absolutely. Yeah. Enjoy it, Jay. Thank you for yes, doing sir. this, buddy. Same here. Friends, I really appreciate you tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please copy the link and send it to a friend. I can be found on Instagram and Twitter at man underscore overseas. And if you know anyone looking for one-on-one -on -one coaching, I'll be happy to serve them on Thursdays. I have two slots available. Thank you, folks. Thank you.